Fatherhood is fascinating. One day you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Welcome to Positively Dad. I'm your host, James Shaw. I'm a dad, just like you probably, or maybe you're a mom listening. Hey, thanks so much. We appreciate you. You know, the goal of Positively Dad is to... uh, Connect with dads, support dads, and and help each other along this journey. You know, it's a, it's not easy all the time, and there aren't a lot of resources for us. Most of the resources that you find are for moms. There's just not a lot out there for dads, and um, and so you know what? We're looking to fill that void for you. We're looking to offer value to dads so that as we uh, raise our children and 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 live in our families, that you know we're focused on growth and getting better. And, and, and just being the best dad that we can possibly be. And so I thank you for joining us. In fact, if you would, if you've been a listener of the podcast, would you mind giving us a review, whether it's on iTunes or Google or TuneIn or Stitcher or Spotify? We'd really, really appreciate it. It would mean a lot. And we're also interested in, in knowing what it is you'd like to hear on the podcast. Email me. James at PositivelyDad.com. And then finally, we're on every social media platform, really, that's, that matters. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Positively Dad. We'd love it if you follow us, and uh, we appreciate it. So I'm a dad. I have a first grader in our house and, and uh, live with my wife, Terry. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm excited about today's podcast for you because we want to look at things a little bit differently, and that's, I think, what we're going to do today. If you ask any parent, hey, do you want to raise a healthy, happy, and successful kid? And, of course, the answer is going to be yes. I mean, none of us hope that our kids fail. Uh, We want them to win, be happy, and succeed. Except how do you do it? What is it that that helps you create the environment that allows your children to be happy and successful? And today we're going to talk with someone who's an expert on that. In fact, I saw his TED talk and that really got me excited and I reached out to him and he was really happy to do it and join us on the podcast today. And and he looks at, you know, what's, what's more important What's more important is it is it preparing for you know your test in school, or is it being prepared for the test of life? And today's guest wrote a book about that. It's called Ways to Wellbeing by John Doran. John is a guidance counselor, a teacher, has been for nearly twenty five years out in Ireland, and he's an expert on helping um, kids and 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 teens as they're growing up really understand emotional intelligence. In fact, he says that your EQ is more important than your IQ. I think you're really, really going to love this interview, and I'm really excited to have uh, John Doran on the program today. John, thank you so much for joining us on Positively Dad. It's a real pleasure to be with you, James. Thank you. So I, when I came across your TED Talk, I, was, I think the line that got me the most was, are we preparing our children for a life of tests or for a test of life? And you know, any of the dads out there who have kids, you know, we're doing a lot of preparing for tests and exams and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, I think if you ask a dad, he just wants to make sure his kid can go out and survive and accomplish something and be amazing, right? And so, you know, that that's what really got me. What did you mean by that? Well, I suppose, um, James, life is funny. In, in life, uh, you get the tests. Uh, or in school, you get the tests and then you get the, the lesson. And then in, in life, you get the lesson and then the test. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, what I meant by that is, you know, I think we're kind of at a crossroads for our young people, James. What do we want? What are we about? Are we, are we preparing them 
uh, for the world that they're going to go into. And I, I'm not so sure we are. We, we look at their cognitive capacity. But what about their emotional intelligence? What about their ability to create great relationships with others? And most importantly, great relationship with themselves, their own self-talk. So I think um, we have to develop their awareness to help them in this world, not just to, to survive, but to thrive in it. Well, what's important about that? I think what's important about it, James, is that, you know, the, the pace of change will never be slower in the future than it is today. And if you have a young child age five or six, 68% of the jobs that they will take up when they're in, at employment age haven't been invented yet. So that's the pace of change, James. So I don't think schools have, 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 have changed sufficiently. We, we're still teaching young people for a world that no longer exists in a model that was perfectly designed for the 19th century. So I think we have to keep pace of where young people are. And I think it's never been more needed. We live in a world that's been never more connected, James, but paradoxically, never more disconnected. And I think we, we're, we're seeing the, the fallback of that. The young people's conversation intelligence, for example, is diminishing. They're texting, they're on social media. 75% of their time is spent looking down, but they're missing their moments by cramming their minutes. Wow. So, uh, you know, when you talk about schools and preparing for life, I feel like, you know, I've got a first grader and then I, I, I mean, even in first grade, we've got homework and tests and things like that. And then, gosh, the parents keep telling me, wait till fourth grade, just wait until fourth grade. And then, of course, it only gets you know tougher from there. The thing that stands out to me is the pressure that many of these, you know, many of our kids are under through school age to where are they going to go to college and are their grades going to be enough and all that kind of stuff. It seems like a lot of pressure for these kids right now in school. What advice do you have for dads and parents about how to really help our kids during this this time? Great question, James. I kind of come at it in two directions. The first thing is that all of the research about what parents want most for their children are as follows in this order. Number three, they want them to educationally attain something. Um, second, they want them to be safe. But firstly, they want them to be happy. And I think that's what we want for our young people. A happy student performs better in every domain of their life, educationally, personally, socially, in every capacity. So what I would say to any parent, any father, to their child is you are enough. Um, and that your enoughness is not outside of yourself, that you are enough. It's a simple message and that we have a generation of young people who don't think they're smart enough, good enough, tall enough, intelligent enough, uh, pretty enough, thin enough. So to actually reassure that young person that, you know what, you're not just visiting this world, you have your place and your part to play. And I think parents can reassure young people because they are putting a lot of pressure on themselves, uh, James, and I think to reassure them that they are already enough. Um, and that happiness is an inside job and to have a good relationship with yourself is the starting point to true success. And, you know, what is success, James? I mean, I think it's it's the peace of mind that comes from knowing you've done the best you can with the ability that you have in the time that you've got in the space that you're in. And everybody, everybody is capable of that success. Well, how do we help them understand that they're already enough? There's a couple of ways, James, and a couple of concepts that I think we should be strategically teaching our young people. The first one is grit and the first one about perseverance. I think young people tend to quit too soon. Um, I also think what we need to do, uh, James, very crucially, is to destigmatize failure. You know, a great question as a parent you should ask your child coming home from school today is, what was your best mistake today? 
because you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. Let's try to reframe fail as first attempt in learning. What was your best mistake today? Let's see mistakes as vile. Very interesting learning experiences. I like Carl Dweck's work, James. He talks about growth mindset. Yeah. So what I, what I say to a young person, if they fall down or mess up, I always say, if you mess up, fess up and clean up. Um, what have you learned in that moment that can make you better in the next aspect of the next moment? So I think we can, as parents, put the emphasis on learning, not shaming behavior, but shaping behavior. And I think that's the greatest gift you could give your young person is to destigmatize failure and say, actually, what's the learning in this? And then move on. That's interesting. You know, a mentor of mine has always said that what you focus on expands. And so if we take these these mistakes and we look at them as, as what did we learn? Right. John Maxwell says sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And so if we can reframe it like that, what an amazing opportunity for our kids. Right. I've asked people all over the world from cooks, cleaners to CEOs, James, one question. And that question is, what is one thing that you would have loved to have known when you were 16 or 17 that would have saved you a lot of hassle in your life? And I got a one word, a one, a one sentence reply from the chief psychologist to the New Zealand All Blacks all conquering rugby team, the finest rugby team in the world. And what he said simply was where your thoughts go, your energy flows. And that speaks to what you're saying, James. If a young person is continually tuning into a self-critical cha channel. We, we all talk to ourselves. Me FM is on 24 hours a day. And we can be very, very hard on ourselves, particularly young people. So tune in your appreciation station to all the good and sitting, in, sitting silently at the back of your awareness, as I say in my TED talk, I think is really important. Plus the fact, James, that parents can teach our young people that thoughts and feelings aren't facts, that we can actually choose a positive thought. I mean, the greatest weapon both parent and young person has in their armory against the stress and pressures that you mentioned is our capacity to choose one thought over another. You don't have to believe everything you think. Choose the powerful thought and your energy will flow in that direction. Well, let's say that, you know, we've grown up in an environment that's negative or an environment that focuses on mistakes or or, or just that the tendency has been that way because it's easier, right? In fact, we know that um, I saw a study once that said there are twice as many words in the English language that describe negative emotion than describe positive emotion. So it's easier, right, to be negative. What if that's been our environment? How do we re reframe that so that we can begin to focus on the opposite of the negative and get into the positive? Well, you're so true, James, and partly it's, it, there's a number of dimensions to this. Firstly, dem demography does not have to equal destiny. That's why I always say to a young person who maybe hasn't had the fortune of good parents or good, good uh, opportunities in life. But you are right about that negative bias. But that's not just for young people, uh, uh, James. That's for us all. Right. The actual negative bias in our brains is nine to one. So as a parent, I might have had 45 interactions with my child today. And I go to bed thinking about that one interaction that didn't go so well. So to answer your question specifically, once we know that we're kind of negatively wired, it's a survival mechanism that kept us as a species alive, but now keeps us in perpetual state of stress. I think we have to, the, 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 the best ratio for a positive ratio is five to one for a relationship. So once I'm conscious of that negative bias, I consciously look for the good. Look for lowering the threshold of what you're grateful for. You know, to actually say, well, you know what, that didn't work out well, but there are four or five things that I did that weren't bad at all. 
to be conscious of looking for the good, James. I think it's really, really important. You know, uh, you mentioned it, and I think it was Mandela who said it first, you either win or learn. Um, you know, you're, 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 and you're, everything is a lesson if you're looking in that way. So I think it's about mindset, James. It's about growth mindset. It's about looking for the lessons, being solution focused. I call it being a possibilitarian. Uh, I call it strategic optimism. Now, by strategic optimism, James, I'm not saying that parents should try to pro to 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 preach a kind of a airy fairy Pollyanna. Everything is always fantastic. That's not real life. You and I both know that. Right. But what we can do is strategically teach our young people a mindset to entertain the possibility that things can get better, that yeah. things can work out, that what I go through, I can grow through. And I would suggest, James, if we give our young people a mindset like that, it's one of the greatest gifts that we could ever give any human being because you're actually helping them tune in to their own innate and intuitive capacity for resilience. That's great. It, it, what you said made me think of something. You know, ba bad things are going to happen, and it's kind of how we respond that matters. It reminds me of a situation you probably heard about it when Hurricane Harvey came through Texas and caused massive amounts of damage in, in Texas. I mean, flooding and damage. It was one of the worst storms this country's ever seen. And there's a little town on the coast there where the, the, the storm came through and basically wiped out the school. I mean, just completely destroyed the school. And the next day, they had football practice. The football coach called the players in, and a handful of players came, and they helped clean up, and then they had football practice. And then the next day, a few more players came, and they helped clean up, and they had football practice. And keep in mind that, that the coaches and these football players had all lost everything, right? I mean, they might have been wearing the same thing that they had on the day before and the day before and the day before. And by the third or fourth day, you had athletes from all over the school who were showing up, and they were practicing and helping clean up and get their school back together. And what this coach said that really stuck out to me was this. And he said, when bad things happen, you don't stop. You keep moving forward. And that's what I'm hearing you basically say. Look, bad things are going to happen, and, and how you look at it matters. 100%. I, I would say three things in response to that, James. The first thing is, it's not what happens to you in life that matters. It's how you respond to what happens to you in life. We are all response-able, and the best place to get a helping hand is at the end of your own arm. Um, the second thing I would say is that we kind of live in a me generation rather than a we generation, and it's great to connect to other people. And even in that adversity that you speak of, what comes across to me was that sense of community and sense of solidarity and that sense of contribution. And that's essential for our well-being, not just to look about ourselves, but what we, to be other focused. And I think that's really, really important, James, for this generation to be less about me and more about we. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was let's teach our kids to lower their threshold of what they're grateful for. Could you share more what you mean about that? Yeah. Um, lowering the threshold of what you're grateful for in, in life, James, is the single biggest thing I know to increase your happiness quotient. But you and I woke up this morning in a warm, comfortable bed. We went to a switch and electricity came out. We went to a larder, there was food there, a fridge stocked with milk. That makes myself and yourself and our listeners 0.1% of the richest generation in the world and 0.1% of the richest generation that's ever lived with the highest life expectancy that ever lived. Now I suspect, and I can only talk for myself, James, you didn't leap out of bed saying, thank God, how lucky am I? Why? Because we get used to the good in our lives. And uh, 
tuning in your appreciation station to all of the good in our lives, the fact that I can walk and talk, that I can share this wonder of technology with you here this morning, is all sitting silently at the back of your awareness. Bringing that to the front of your awareness and being grateful for all of the so many wonderful things in your world, being alive, is the single biggest thing I know, James, um, that could increase your happiness quotient. We've got so much to be grateful for. It's all there. Einstein said, you can treat every day like it's a miracle or like no day is a miracle. And I think there's miracles happening every day. We're actually participating in one. I mean, the best definition of education that I have heard is that it's a conversation between one generation and another about what's really important in life. And surely, James, there's nothing more important to a parent than the happiness and the well-being of, of their young person. So, you know, what suggestions would you have for parents to help build this habit, not only with, with their kids, you know, with us as parents as well, because it's, gosh, it's so easy to get up every day, like you said, and you'll have a negative interaction with your child, and that might be your energy around them that day. Um, what, what specific strategies or exercises would you suggest to help all of us kind of just get into gratitude? Well, could I, could, could, I, could I suggest, and the elephant in the room, James, is social media. And I think that in years to come, social media will be seen as the new smoking. I mean, there was a time not so long ago where people were told that smoking was good for you. Now, there are lots of very positive benefits to social media. But I think to answer your question specifically, at the dinner table, no social media. Turn off all devices. That includes the parents. Let's connect again to our young people. Okay, Let's real quick. Real quick, John. I'm sorry. I've got to interrupt. So are you going to have that conversation with the kids about putting their phone away or do I have to have that conversation? What um, does that look like? The, well, okay. And I was only funny we we're talking, James, because I was only looking at this and trying to explain it. The elephant in the room is that difficult conversation. Now, when that elephant is small, in other words, when your young person is small, you can navigate that elephant through the door. Unfortunately, the bigger that elephant becomes and if you leave that conversation, you might have to rearrange the furniture or even take down a wall. I think no young person should go to bed with a screen. But by the way, James, I don't think any older person should either. It affects your production of melatonin and your circadian rhythms. It's affecting our sleep. I, when I was researching my book, worked with some of the preeminent sleep psychologists in the world, Dr. No Dr. Nick Littlehales. And um, I think we need to reconnect with our young people. You know, it's, I say to young people all the time, it's better to meet a friend than add a friend. But at the lunch table, at the dinner table, take away all screens and say, how are you today, son? How, how, how are you today, Denise? Um, how, what was your day like today? What were three things that happened since we spoke last that you're grateful for? I think that would be a great gift, uh, James, to connect, uh, you know, have real FaceTime with young people rather than FaceTime. Um, I am concerned about the, um, on both sides of the pond, about the, just the ubiquitous, ubiquitous nature of devices. It's almost, I think if a Martian came down from, from, from Mars, James, he would think that the mobile phone was an extension of the arm. Yeah. You said earlier that teens and likely adults, I would imagine, are spending, what, 75% of our time looking at a device. Yes. And, and you're suggesting, hey, let's look up. Tell me more about that. Well, James, um, I'm a guidance counselor, as you know, and um, in the last couple of years, um, lots of kids present with lots of different things, academic, social, anxiety, etc. But the one thing that's coming through my door at a very worrying rate, and this is anecdotal, but it, it's replicated throughout my conversations with colleagues, is 
a lot of young people, James, I suspect uh, this will resonate with your parents listening here as well, are lonely. So they'll never be more connected and yet paradoxically never more disconnected. And I think the, the greatest enemy of depression is human connection. You know, and the greatest friend to uh, depression is loneliness and isolation. I think we need to encourage young people and ourselves just to connect again as human beings. It's, we're hardwired for connection, James. And the mobile phone, 500 friends on Facebook, does not equal one meaningful conversation with somebody in the room, eyeball to eyeball. Conversational intelligence, James, is being lost at an alarming rate amongst young people. And no one seems to be talking about it. You know, some friends of mine and I were out for a dinner not too long ago, and we said, you know what, we're going to stack all the phones in the middle of the table, yeah. and whoever grabs their phone pays the bill. Yeah. And um, and what was so interesting about that is no one grabbed their phone because no one wanted to pay the bill. And we yeah. had an amazing time connecting and talking with each other. And, and I here, here let me let me see if I'm if I'm understanding you right. You're not saying that obviously our our phones are bad and social media use is bad and all that kind of stuff. What we're saying is when it keeps us from connecting with those around us, that's where it can create a, a challenge which then leads to some of these things about lower self-worth self and, and, and more negativity because of just too much time comparing yourself to others. Is that basically what you're saying? Um, yes, indeed, James. Two things on that. You know, when you're saying yes to your phone 75% of your working day and night, what are you saying no to? You could be saying no to that meaningful connect with your young person, with your child. And the second thing is, you're so right. This is the problem with social media is that you're constantly in a world of continual comparison. And when your, your, your daughter is comparing herself to the, to the highlight reels and the filtered photograph of Kim Kardashian, she's never going to match up. She's never going to be thin enough, uh, blemish-free, pretty enough, never enough enough. So comparison is the thief of joy. And what social media incentivizes to do, James, is continually compare ourselves to other people. And you know what? You know, happiness is not is not you know the, the you know the the grass is not greener on the other side of the hill as we are kind of uh, seduced into thinking by social media. The grass is greener where you water it. Um, you know, sometimes we put our happiness in a different postcode. Uh, we put it in a different time zone, the future. But actually, happiness is right here, right now. And I think we I say to people, get out of your head and into your life. But I would also say, get out of your screen and get into your life. Mm. So uh, in your TED talk, you, you said that we're born with two fears, uh, falling over and loud sounds, and then the rest are ones that we learned. I just found so much fascination out of that. Would you share more? I would. I'd love to, James, because if, if, if your listeners take away no message from this, um, I would really like them to take away this message. I think it's why we're connecting here today. Someone out there, I genuinely believe, needs to hear this. Parenting has never been more challenging. Uh, parenting is hard work because it's hard work, James. And quite often, many of your parents listening in second guess our capacities as parents. We feel we're not good enough. And I learned this secret from Brother Colin O'Connell, uh, who works in Kenya, who is the world's greatest um, sports well, athletics coach. He trains David Rudisha, amongst many others. And he came to my school some years ago. And the great, the good from all over the world be the path to his door, James, to find out the secret. And I'm going to share it with your listeners with your permission. And Colm says that, as you say, we're born with those fears but and of, of, of falling over and loud. But all of the other fears are learned along the way. The fear of 
not being good enough, the fear of not being a good enough parent, of not fitting in, of missing out, of making mistakes. And he said, you know, basically we are enough. And that find, find your enoughness outside of yourself, James, it's like trying to find a shark in the desert. I'll be enough when my son is 18. I'll be enough when I have the name plate on the office door uh, of CEO. And Colm's secret is hidden in plain sight. You know, when fear is writing the script of your life, the working title is always, I'm not good enough. Colm tells his athletes, you are enough. And when you let that seep into your consciousness, into your DNA, that you are enough, I'm a good enough parent. I'm a good enough partner. I'm a good enough son. I'm a good enough daughter. And um, it changes your emotional state from one of perpetual fear and anxiety to one of application and one of energy. You're freed up to do the best you can with the ability that you've got and the time that you have. And that's liberating. It's, it's hidden in plain sight. I'm actually good enough parent. And I think somebody out there, James, needs to know that. Um, I'm good enough. And uh, believe in yourself. And belief in yourself, James, costs nothing. And everyone can afford that. And if you can internalize that and pass that on to your son or daughter, you're going to give them a living legacy that will have living roots not just for your life, but for the lives to come. Another thing that you talked about was about creating the environment and that that's really our responsibility as parents is to create the environments for our children to thrive. I don't think anybody says they want their children to, to, not, to, to be unhappy. And so it's our responsibility to create that environment. What advice would you have on how we do that? Um, yeah, I think it's cl climate control has never been more important. And I think it's about communicate, communicate, communicate. And I would also say that, you know, if I was giving um, uh, our young people a bit of advice, I'd give them three words, tell the truth. And if I was giving them another three words, it would be all the time. So to create a, a culture of honesty and openness and also as parents to promote something that I think social media is robbing our young people of empathy to try and understand the experience of another human being is really important, James. The comedian Billy Connolly said, if you want to know what empathy is, or want to know about my life, come walk a mile in my shoes. If nothing else, you'll be a mile away from me and you'll have my shoes. <laughs> but I think, I think empathy is really important to create a culture, an atmosphere of openness where the son or daughter can come to you and actually have that conversation. Even if it's a conversation that is a little bit awkward or a bit difficult, but they're not going to be judged, that unconditional love and regard is there and that young person feels it, that they don't feel shamed. I think I say to young person, stay off the fags and he'll say, sir, I don't smoke. I said, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about fear, anger, guilt and shame. Don't give your young people fags. Don't shame their behavior, shape their behavior. And that's creating a positive learning environment where your child will not just survive, but thrive. So just as we kind of wrap up, what what is it that you just would really love for these dads? What's the message that you would love these dads to get out of our conversation today? Two things, two simple things. The happiness is an inside job that when we when we outsource our happiness to other people, other things, we're never going to be happy. That true happiness is doing the best you can. And I suppose the strap line on my TED talk, James, says it all. If you can, the, the best lesson in resilience I got was when I was 10 when a teacher wrote up a 10 word sentence on the board, each word with two lines. And it simply said, if it is to be, it is up to me. If we can teach our young people that the best place to find a helping hand is at the end of their own arm, we'll be doing them a great service. And secondly, James, to teach our young people that about the power of asking and the power of reaching out. We all have a superpower. It's the ability to ask people for help. 
that's not a sign of weakness. That is, was, and always will be a sign of strength. Be you young or be you old, always ask for help. Oh, that's great. Your book is called Ways to Well-Being. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the book and where we can find it. Well, I mean, I'd be very happy to keep in contact with your listeners. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at A Way to Wellbeing. And my email is ways to wellbeing at yahoo.com. And I'm delighted and honored to be with you today, James. And I would love to keep in contact with both you and your listeners uh, in the future. John, I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. A pleasure, James. Thank you so much. What a powerful interview. So thankful that John Dorn joined us to go through that. And as I'm listening to him and, and I'm thinking, I got to go back and listen to this again. This may be one that you have to listen to a couple of times to get everything that he gave you out of it. And I would definitely follow him on Instagram and Twitter because what he shares on a regular basis is so powerful. And one really powerful thing he brought up was the questions that we're asking our kids when they come home from school. And one question I wrote down was, what's the biggest mistake that you made today? And following up with it with, what did you learn from that? There's true value, I think, when you go through and walk your kids through mistakes. You know, we had one where Naomi made a mistake, a, a pretty big one, that hurt some people's feelings. And, um, you know, it just, it just wasn't a great thing. And, um, you know, what we did was we just asked her, what'd you learn from that? What, what did that teach you? And I was very proud of how she handled it because she was embarrassed. She was sad that she'd made that mistake. And it didn't become something that was, you know, wrong or awful. She knows that that wasn't a great thing to do. And at the end of the day, she learned something from it. And that's what matters. You know, when I was talking with John, we, we uh, mentioned a book by John Maxwell called Sometimes You Win and Sometimes You Learn. What I love about that book, and you know I love talking about books on here, what I love about that book, there's one that we can read as parents, and then there's a kid's version of it as well, and it's one that we've read to Naomi a lot, so that might be something to check out is John Maxwell's adult version and kid's version of sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. Well, you know, we wrap up every episode with an interview with uh, Naomi. She, she does uh, her kid's corner, and so I'm so excited for it to share. The way we do it is this. I say, Naomi, what would you like to talk about? Keep in mind, she's in first grade. So Naomi, what would you like to talk about today in the kid's corner? And she tells me and we record it and then we put it on the podcast. So here we go. It's everyone's favorite part of Positivity Dad, quite frankly. Here we go. The kid's corner. What are the kids thinking? Time to find out in the kid's corner with your host, Naomi. Hi, I'm Naomi Shot, and today we're going to talk about to stay positive. When I was at Costa Rica and horseback riding, I was totally scared. My horse was way fast and my dad's horse was slow. So I cried a little, but then I was like, it's almost the end. And I better say my affirmations. And I said, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I can do it. I'm strong, I'm powerful, I can do it. And then when we finally stopped, I actually got up at the horse and it was fun we got to go in a waterfall and my my favorite favorite part was the zip lining i got the courage to do it all by myself thanks for listening don't forget this is naomi's corner have a great day bye there you go say those affirmations and that'll keep your mind pointed in the right direction a lot of what john doran was talking about with us today what stories are you telling yourself what is it that you're focusing on 
where are you putting your energy and your attention? And uh, so great to see Naomi see that, and I'm glad she had a chance to share that with you. Hey, we appreciate you listening to Positively Dad, and I trust that you've gotten value out of it. Would you rate us wherever you're listening? Just give us a rating and uh, whatever podcast platform that you're using, and leave a review if you wouldn't mind as well. We'd so appreciate that. And would you send me your feedback, james at positivelydad.com, and then uh, your ideas as well. What would you like us to cover? Who do you know that we should have on the podcast? We'd love to hear about that. You can also find us on all your social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Positively Dad. Again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.